We read God's Word this morning, Psalms, Psalm 37. As we read through this psalm, I encourage you to look for the description of the righteous man, as well the blessing that God promises to give to that righteous individual. Psalm 37, a psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs, They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall. He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, 
Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word, and God add his blessing to the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of Psalm 37 and many other passages of scripture that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17. Question 45, what doth the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death, that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he had purchased for us by his death. Secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life, And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian religion is a religion that makes many bold claims. Assertions so bold that apart from faith which believes the invisible, we would never be able to hold these claims for truth. The Christian religion claims that out of nothing... God created. 
Christian religion claims that in six days God took that unformed mass that he had called out of nothing on the first day and he shaped it into an earth with trees and animals and people. The Christian religion claims that this God was grieved at the wickedness of man upon this earth, and in his justice sent a worldwide flood, saving only eight souls by means of a wooden ark. The Christian religion claims that God transformed his covenant family of some 70 souls at the time of Jacob and prospered them to grow into a nation over a million strong and brought them out through the midst of a Red Sea and sustained them in a wilderness, which wilderness of itself was insufficient to keep the Israelites alive. And the way that God kept his people alive was by raining down manna from heaven and sending water out of the rock. The Christian religion is filled with bold, by nature, unbelievable claims. But of all of the claims that the Christian makes, one of the boldest assertions that we make is the truth that is confessed in this very Lord's Day. We confess that the grave is not the end. We confess that the grave has been conquered that on the third day God raised to life again His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And not only do we claim that that was true for God's Son, but we also claim that this will be true for all of God's people at the return of Jesus Christ. Who would dare to make a claim that audacious? As the world hears that claim, the world in unbelief scoffs and mocks such a claim. It goes against our senses, does it not? It goes against our natural senses to believe the resurrection of the dead. As we stand by the graveside, our eyes tell us this person is dead. Our ears do not detect a heartbeat. Our hand 
hands as we touch the body of the deceased sense that their body has grown cold. The senses tell us that this person is dead and there is nothing that could bring this person back to life again. And yet the Christian's bold claim is that when Jesus Christ returns, the graves will be opened up. The sting of death has been removed. It is not by looking at ourselves, but it is by looking at our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we are given confidence that this claim is true. Let's look this morning then at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection, a sure pledge for us. First, we'll consider what is the idea of the resurrection. Second, the basis. And then third, the certainty Look at the fact that the catechism calls it a pledge. Lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. What do we mean by resurrection? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we start with Jesus Christ, not our own personal bodily resurrection, By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Catechism teaches us that the meaning of that is that Jesus Christ has overcome death. It's a short statement, succinct, and yet in that short statement, the Catechism captures the idea of what the resurrection consists of. How doth the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death. The resurrection presupposes death. Without death, there is no resurrection. Without Jesus Christ's death, there would have been no need for, nor even a possibility of, resurrection of his body. The disciples of Jesus would not have grieved had he not died. The women would not have come early on Sunday morning to anoint his body had not he died. It is because we face the sobering reality of our own personal death that we anticipate the coming resurrection of the dead. It is the thoughts of the final enemy that awaken with us an earnest desire for and trust in our resurrection of the dead. Christ was dead. In every sense of the word, Jesus Christ was dead. As they took his body down off the cross on Friday afternoon and brought his body and put it in the the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then as they took that stone, that heavy stone, and rolled it 
in front of the door of that tomb, the body of Jesus Christ entered into the corruption, the finality of the grave. All of the power and talents and abilities that Jesus Christ had had throughout his lifetime, all of the important positions that Jesus Christ had occupied, and he did occupy very important positions, came to an end at the moment of the death of Jesus Christ. It mattered not how important of a teacher, how important of a minister, how impressive was his ability as a miracle worker. It mattered not how effective he was in making disciples out of men, calling certain men to give up their occupation and to follow him and learn from him. It mattered not how important the position and the labors of Jesus Christ were upon this earth at the moment of his death. His importance and his position that he had had upon this earth ceased. He had no power in the grave to teach. He had no power in the grave to perform miracles, to make disciples. He was dead. Then, at the moment of his death, there was a rending rending a part of the body and of the soul. As the soul went up, and as the body went down. And the body then in the grave began the process of decomposition, returning to the dust from whence it came. Jesus was, in every sense of the word, dead. But on the third day, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he overcame death. The body of the person of Jesus Christ was raised up unto life again so he was no longer dead, but he was alive. It is true that no earthly person beheld this this, this miraculous event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is true that none of the disciples with their own eyes beheld the body of Jesus Christ as His body was raised unto life. And because none of the disciples beheld with their own eyes, none of them could write about it in the Gospel accounts from their first-hand account. But even though nobody beheld the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ, yet by faith the disciples believed it to be true, and by faith we believe it to be true. There's evidence that the body of Jesus Christ was raised to life again. There's the testimony of the angel. As the angel sat upon that stone that had been rolled away from the door of the tomb, and as the women came unto that tomb then on Sunday morning, the testimony of the angel was, He is not here, for He is risen. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. 
is the testimony of the grave clothes, the linen clothes, which were still laying wrapped up as if there was a body inside of the clothes. How else can one explain that the body of Jesus Christ was taken out of those clothes if it still was laid there wrapped up as if the body were still inside of it. The only way, humanly speaking, to remove a body from grave clothes is unwrap or cut off the linen clothing. But the fact that it was not unwrapped, nor was it cut off, indicates that his body had been miraculously removed from the clothing. Yet another evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ was raised on the third day is appearances. He appeared not infrequently to his disciples, to Mary in the garden, showing that he had overcome death. There's something significant here, very significant about this particular resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not the only resurrection that had ever occurred. There are other instances recorded in the Holy Scriptures of people who were dead and who later on then were raised to life again. There's the widow's son. There's Lazarus, who was dead for four days. His sisters, Mary and Martha, said his body stinks by now. Jesus, it's, it's too late. And yet there's something special, unique about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in comparison to the other resurrections that are spoken of in the Holy Scriptures. And the Catechism captures what is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's unique about Jesus being raised on the third day is this, beloved, that in His resurrection, He overcame death. When Lazarus and when the widow's son were raised to life again, they did not overcome death as that final enemy temporarily, They were given life again, but they still would have to face that final enemy of death. But Jesus Christ, when He was raised to life on the third day, He conquered, He destroyed, He took the sting out of death. He changed what is death. Death, instead of being the master who would have the final word, Instead of death being the one who would be able to laugh with its evil laugh as it opens itself up and receives the dead person into the grave, death, instead of being the master, now has become the servant. Jesus rules over death and the grave. The church cries out triumphantly with the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting, O grave? 
where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ overcame death, we have the hope of our own blessed resurrection. Catechism concludes, lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Four things that we can use to describe our blessed resurrection that we anticipate. We go through these praying that God will use these to awaken within us an earnest desire for the coming of Jesus Christ so that these things of which we speak now will be true for us indeed when Jesus Christ returns. For what is it that we hope when He comes? Number one, at the moment of our resurrection, our previously dead body will be restored to life again. Our dead bodies will be restored to life. We must not imagine that at the resurrection of the dead, God is going to start over with an entirely different body. It's not as if the bodies that we presently have right now, God is going to cast away and will never have anything to do with those bodies. No, God will raise our bodies to life again. Jesus Christ was recognizable after his resurrection from the dead, and so it will be for you and for me. That which makes you unique as a person that the characteristics that God has given unto you, fearfully and wonderfully made, we are, God will raise your body to life again. Second, at the moment of the resurrection of the body, the soul and the body will be reunited. At the moment of death, there is a rending apart, an unnatural division between the soul and the body. It is true that for the soul, as the soul escapes this earth and is brought by God into heaven, that for the soul, the moment of death is a great victory. It's entering into the promised rest that Jesus Christ gives to his disciples. And yet there is something missing. For God created us not as spirits, nor as angels, but as human beings. Bodies shaped out of the dust, and he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And so at the moment of death, when our body goes down into the grave, the soul awaits that body to be raised to life again. At the moment of the resurrection, body and soul will be reunited 
as God had intended body and soul to live. Third, what is blessed about our resurrection? Why do we long for it? Is it not because of this, beloved? Because at the moment of the resurrection, we will be raised to a new, yea, a higher life. We mustn't imagine that at the moment of the resurrection, our bodies are going to be brought up, raised to life again, and then we're going to resume having the exact same circumstances, difficulties, weaknesses that characterize our flesh throughout our earthly existence, then there could hardly be any joy in looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. If that's what the resurrection meant, that we would be raised up out of the grave and we would return to a crooked and broken earth, And that on that crooked earth we would suffer, we would be susceptible to disease, injury, and ultimately death yet again. Who would want to come back to this earth? At the moment of our resurrection, we'll be raised to a new, higher life which is sown in dishonor, will be raised in honor. We'll be given a spiritual body, as 1 Corinthians 15 describes it. And that spiritual body, what the Scriptures mean, is a, life that, or a body that's adapted for life in heaven as God brings us to our everlasting home. What a thought that is, that With this new body, we never will become sick again, never will become injured, never will have to deal with the afflictions of the flesh, handicaps of the mind, but a perfect body. Fourth, what is the blessedness of the resurrection? It's this, that we are brought to be with God. Not just in our souls, but also in our bodies. That's why the Christian yearns for Jesus Christ to come, so that He who is God, who is the head over His church, who loves His church with an everlasting love, that He who is God can be united perfectly with His glorious bride. That's, that's, that's the fundamental reason why we long for Jesus Christ to come. John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal. We're thinking in terms of resurrection here. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What joy, what fullness of joy will be given unto us at that time as we are brought into the presence of Almighty God and we can 
worship him and even see him through Jesus Christ, his son. That's why our resurrection will be a blessed resurrection. But what is the basis of this resurrection? If we do not know the basis, then we will have no confidence with regard to the resurrection of the dead. But we'll doubt, even as the man of the world stands by the grave and has no hope looking forward. The basis of our confidence regarding the resurrection is righteousness. It is because of righteousness, perfect, absolutely perfect conformity unto the law of God that we may be confident that our bodies will not forever remain in the grave, but that on the third day, or rather at at the final day, our bodies will be raised up. The Catechism speaks of righteousness. What doth the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, that by His resurrection He has overcome death, that He might make us partakers of that righteousness which He had purchased for us by His death. Jesus Christ purchased righteousness for us. And because Jesus Christ was righteous, and because Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God, it was not possible for God to leave Jesus Christ in the grave. The justice of God demanded that God not leave Jesus Christ in the corruption of the tomb. But the justice of God required that Jesus Christ be raised up unto life again. Psalm 37, verse 31, the law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. This speaks here prophetically of Jesus Christ. As we look back on the work of Jesus Christ, we would say, that the law of God was in his heart. All of his life long, Jesus Christ lived in perfect conformity unto the law that God had set for him. Even at the moment of, of the cross, as the weight of hell was brought unto Jesus Christ, as he endured the inexpressible anguish and terrors of hell itself, yet Jesus Christ had the law of God written in his heart. It was because Jesus Christ was perfectly righteous that God could not permit and would not permit his righteous one to remain in the grave. But according to his justice, God had to raise Jesus Christ up from the grave. Righteousness. Observe with me how the psalmist throughout Psalm 37 connect 
works righteousness with the blessing of God. We're going to go through this psalm here, and I'm going to point out a number of verses that show to you how the blessing of God rests upon those who are righteous. And we're going to do this for a reason. Trust we'll see shortly what the reason is. But notice with me these verses. Psalm 37, verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Next verse, verse 18. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright. Upright is a description of those who are right before God's law, righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Verse 25. I am young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God does not forsake the righteous. Verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. Now who are saints? They're holy ones. Holy ones are those who are in accord with God's law. Forsaketh not his saints, but they are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. One more example. Verse 37. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. Do not all of these verses and others besides, which we did not call attention to, reveal unto us the fact that the one who will receive God's blessing, the one who will inherit the land, the one who will be preserved forever, the one who will never be forsaken, the one who never will be cut off, that individual is the righteous person. So the question that God gives to you and me to consider this morning is this, are you a righteous person. Sometimes people, even good Christian people, can get caught up in the question of, do I personally know that my body is going to be raised from the dead? Do I know if I am an elect child of God? What if I struggle with doubts about my own salvation? 
And because I struggle with doubts about my own salvation, therefore, I don't know if I'm, maybe I won't get raised up at the last day. If I am raised up, maybe I won't go to heaven, but maybe God will send me away to everlasting condemnation. And it's possible even for good Christian people to get caught up in this internal struggle, these questions and these doubts that can rise up in one's mind. Will my body be raised in the judgment day? Who am I to say? It almost seems too audacious a claim to assert that, yes, I know that my body will be raised up in the final day. Beloved, I call your attention to this. That's not the starting point for the Christian. Wondering whether or not I will be raised up in the judgment day. But there's a more fundamental question that needs to be asked. The more fundamental question is this, am I righteous? Everything hinges on that. If you are righteous, then as we saw from Psalm 37, you may be confident that God will not forsake you, that you will be preserved forever, that ultimately you will be brought into heaven with God. But if you are not righteous, then you will have no confidence facing the future. May we know that we are righteous. That's the question. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we are made righteous. That's the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. By His resurrection, He has overcome death that He might make us partakers of that righteousness, His righteousness, which He purchased for us by His death. Righteousness is the greatest need that the child of God has as he goes through this earthly pilgrimage. He knows that God shines the light of His countenance down upon those who are righteous, but that God despises the individual who is not righteous. And the sincere Christian knows as well, of myself I am not righteous, but I am unholy. The best of my works are as filthy rags. I struggle day by day with that sinful nature. I so easily give in to the temptations which are set in front of me. And so the Christian, as he stands before God, is exposed to the judgment and justice of God. And the Christian of himself has nothing by which he can cover his own deeds of wickedness. But the Hope, the only hope that the Christian has is that he can appeal to the righteousness of another individual. 
And that the Christian does by faith in Jesus Christ. He pleads of God, God, view me not as I am by nature, but view me as one who is a partaker of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what is given to us through the resurrection of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are made partakers of his righteousness. Different, this is, than earning righteousness. The Catechism does not say that Jesus Christ, in his resurrection from the dead, earned righteousness for us. There's a distinction between earning righteousness and being a partaker of righteousness. Jesus earned righteousness for us throughout all of his lifelong suffering and his death on the cross. But he makes us to be partakers of his righteousness through his resurrection. Romans 4, he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised, resurrection, raised for our justification, our righteousness. In the resurrection, his resurrection, we are made partakers of his righteousness. We can illustrate the difference between earning righteousness and being a partaker of righteousness this way. Imagine an individual who is sick. He's on his deathbed. There's medicine that's available for him. But this person is a beggar. He is too poor to be able to afford that medicine. But then, someone else comes along and buys the medicine for that poor beggar and sets that medicine in front of the beggar. Here you go. You may have this. That's earning that medicine for him. But as powerful as that medicine might be, as good as that medicine would be in alleviating the sickness from that individual, that medicine does absolutely nothing for that sick, beggarly individual if he does not take that medicine. Medicine can be sitting right next to him on the bedside, but it will not give him health or strength unless he partakes of that medicine. Now every illustration has weaknesses. You understand the weakness of this. We're not sick. We're not nigh unto death, but still able to reach out and take the medicine that Jesus has available for us. No, we're dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And Jesus does both. He earns it, earns the righteousness, and he causes us to be partakers of that righteousness. He earned it for poor beggars through his suffering and death on the cross, and he causes us to be partakers of that righteousness by the operations of his Holy Spirit. Jesus takes us 
who were dead. And He raises us spiritually unto newness of life by the power of His Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 11, speaks of the role of the Holy Spirit in quickening us. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. That's the blessed outworking of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. If the Spirit is at work in us, then that same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead shall also quicken our dead bodies. That's the confidence that the Christian has. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a pledge, a promise of our own blessed resurrection. What a promise this is. That all who are righteous in Jesus Christ will be raised in that last day. Can we believe a promise of that magnitude? How hard it is to believe such a promise. How many ministers have not stood at the open grave as the body is being lowered and addressed the grieving family and friends? And brought unto them the words, this isn't the end. You're going to see this person again. He does, the minister does so with good intentions. His intention is to comfort those who mourn. The The minister does so also with the objective of giving them hope. Not focus just on the here and now, but look ahead to the future. What if the minister's wrong? What if all it is is just just some man standing there trying temporarily to alleviate the ache, the pain, the raw suffering that is endured at the time of death. What if the words of the minister prove not true? Jesus Christ returns in the judgment day and the graves aren't opened. The wrath of the church people against the ministers would be unspeakable for the false words that were spoken at the time of death. Beloved, our confidence is not in the fact that an earthly man brings these words, but our confidence, our conviction is in the one who teaches about the resurrection of the dead.
And it's not a mere human being who brings these words, but it is God himself who teaches this glorious, comforting truth. This is God's promise. It's a pledge that comes from on high. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Believe this truth, beloved, because God teaches this truth. Believe it because God, who swears by Himself, for there is no one greater than Him, tells you in His inspired book of truth that the dead will rise. Believe it. For the Spirit of Jesus Christ who is poured out upon the church bears witness with your spirit that this is true. Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God in heaven, can struggle at times to believe thy word because the scriptures make claims that go beyond what our natural senses are capable of believing. But thou give to us from on high the gracious gift of faith. By faith may we be united unto our head, Jesus Christ, who already has conquered death and the grave and who sits victorious at thy right hand. That thou, Father, graciously pardon our sins. Make us righteous in Jesus Christ. Amen.